Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's good to be with you again, whether you're tuning in, in the, uh, from the room here or online, uh, wherever you happen to be, it's great to be with you. We are in the sixth week of a series called The Storyteller. And in this series, we're exploring some of the 10 of the top messages that were spoken. And not only because they're cool because of their content, they're cool because Jesus did them. We're doing them one at a time. And in fact, Jesus is a master at leveraging stories in order to teach his audience how to think about God and what it means to live in a relationship with God in the here and in the now. He often would look around and he would choose something that people could physically identify with, something they could see, something common in their daily lives. And then he would weave that together into a parable to teach a concept or an idea or a lesson. And he used things like fig trees and sheep and water and deserts and planting of seeds and other things that his audience would know really well. And one of the reasons it's so important to, to understand um, some of these stories is it, we need to know when he told it where he was when he told the story and to who he was telling it to. Because so much in the Bible is context driven. And so he used these stories and he used these parables and word pictures to help us see things the way that God would want to have us see them. And then he wants us to put it all into practice in our own lives. So Brady and I were reviewing this series a number of months ago and he said, hey, I'm going to be out of town that weekend. I wondered if you would teach one of these stories for me. So I said, Sure. Well, what story would you like to do, he asked. I said, I don't know, take a look at him. You pick the one that you think fits me the best. So uh, he gave me the wise and foolish builder story, and he said, I think this one fits you best. To which I thought, I chose not to get clarification on why. <laughs> do I fit the wise part? Do I fit the foolish part? Or is it the builder part? Well, I don't build and I made a lot of mistakes, so I'm thinking it's the foolish piece. So, but my second thought was excitement. See, I got to teach on this exact topic, this story, back in 2019. And there was a piece of the parable that I wasn't able to get to because of time. And now I have the chance. So, and as I listened to Bob's teaching on Memorial Day weekend, he did a great job setting up for what I want to share today. So two Sundays ago, Bob was up here teaching, and he shared a piece of his first experience with Keystone. And he shared why, in spite of a rocky start, him and Betty Jo decided to come back a second and then a third time. And he shared that the reason they came back again was because they resonated with the reason that we existed. And that is to help people find and follow Jesus. When we first started Keystone over 25 years ago, we worded it this way. To encourage our seeking friends to take their next step toward Jesus. And then about 10 years ago, um, well, well, 15 years ago, uh, some of you might remember we used this statement a lot. Helping people find their way back to God. And then about 10 years ago, during a period of our history when we had to dig down again and, and take an honest look at what we were doing and what we believed and where we thought God was really taking us, we went back to our roots again and said, you know, there's really just two things that we think God keeps asking us to do. 
And that's helping people find Jesus and helping people follow Jesus. Find and follow. And Keystone has always been known as being one of, not, one of, if not the safest place around, to explore faith and get to know who Jesus is. And I'm, that's something I'm really proud of. But we also recognize that we need to put more emphasis on the follow. And here's two of many reasons why. As a staff, we looked at our own faith journey, and we discovered that many of us found Jesus or became a follower of Jesus, not through a good teaching on Sunday, and not through um, a lot of Sunday experiences. Rather, we were invited to participate in a friend's journey of them following Jesus. By serving someone, or serving a community, or an organization together with that friend, side by side. Some of us got invited to build a school in Love on Kids in the Dominican Republic. Others of us have been tutoring at Sibley School or cleaning up a yard for someone who couldn't or building an accessible ramp for a family that now needed one or helping with the annual West Side cleanup. Side by side, arm in arm with a friend. And I've also seen a lot of this happen on our Keystone High Adventure activities. We're over the course of a multi-mile backpacking trip in Colorado or Pitchard Rocks or Alaska. People started talking through the messy parts of their life with the person that was hiking right next to them. Or having to take that big first step off a platform on top of a 250-foot waterfall down in Costa Rica and then having to repel down through that waterfall. And after doing that, lo and behold, a faith and trust conversation breaks out, comparing that first terrifying step off the platform into the waterfall, comparing that to the first step of faith. And in those challenging adventures, and in those serving opportunities, and in those messy conversations that occurred within them, a number of us found something genuinely authentic, attractive, and significant. Our stories were heard with acceptance. Our stories were heard with love and grace, without the typical judgment expected from Christians. And as it turns out, over half of our staff at that time came to faith in Jesus as a result of participating in following Jesus' activities. Now, the second reason we need to put more emphasis on follow is this. If you were hurt by a Christian, or judged by a Christian, or screwed over by an unethical business decision of a Christian, it's likely that that person has found Jesus, but they have not done the transformational work of following Jesus over time. You just can't find Jesus and stop there. Your lack of depth, your lack of stamina, your lack of maturity will be exposed when the temptations of life come knocking. And I think this talk is timed perfectly because in our last survey we did in February, more than a few of you, quite a number of you, have found Jesus in this past year. Well done. We're excited about that. In fact, if you would send me a note or Brady a note, we would love to hear your story and encourage you in your next steps. Today, though, I want to convince us 
that finding and following need each other. Finding and following need each other. You'll be incomplete without both. Finding without following Jesus leaves you a hollow shell of what you were intended to be. You'll miss developing into a person of significant positive impact. It's missed opportunity. It's missed potential. When you find Jesus and you put some level of faith in Jesus, you believe that what he did on the cross some 2,000 years ago paid for all the judgment against you and it reconnected you with God. And that's great and that's true. And you also believe that God takes up presence in your life and residence in your soul enables you to do things that you were never able to do before on your own. And that's awesome. And even if all of that is true, it still leaves you with this. What am I going to do to move my life forward? Not what is somebody going to do. What am I going to do? God will forgive you like only God can do. But he won't make you act like a forgiven person. Let me say that again. God will forgive you like only God can do. But he won't make you act like a forgiven person. Only you can do that. He'll remove all the condemnation and shame, and, but he won't erase the memories. That's going to take some time. Your friends who embolden you to do whatever you regretted will still be having influence. Your ex is still going to be around. You're still going to run into that person at Forest Hills Foods who deeply hurt you or someone that you have deeply hurt. There are steps of healing and reconciliation and maturity that need to be taken. And only you can take them. My wife said to me the other day, she said, I don't know where she got this from, but I loved it. God doesn't protect me from the consequences of my choices. But neither does he abandon me to them. He gives us somebody to follow. Finding Jesus and trusting him with your soul is one thing. It's a big thing. But trusting Jesus enough to lead your life, that's another thing. And that all comes through following Jesus. If you've been married for more than six months, <laughs> you've already learned that the marriage event, yeah, that isn't the end. You can't just say I do and, and coast, right? <laughs> if your marriage is going to survive, if your marriage is going to thrive, it takes more work, more investment, a daily commitment to living under its authority, to living under the vows of that relationship. And choosing daily to invest in that relationship, that's up to you. Sign up for the gym membership. It isn't what gets you healthy. It's up to you to do the daily workout. Buying the book doesn't inform you like reading the book. Well, as I mentioned, back in uh, the summer of 2019, we did this series called Better. And it was based on the greatest teachings of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, many of us know it as. And uh, Matthew, who was one of Jesus' earliest followers, recorded for us three chapters, as it turns out in our Bible, 
about Jesus' advice or instructions about life. And Jesus talked, covered topics like marriage and divorce and murder and anger and love your neighbor and giving to the needy and how to pray and don't seek revenge, that eye for an eye stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's no more. Uh, don't worry. Jesus says, don't judge each other either. It's hypocritical to do so. And then he says, God blesses those who live life humbly, we say, the meek, um, those who are peacemakers, and those who show mercy to others. So he says a lot of things and much, much more. And then Jesus, knowing his audience and knowing our tendency to just nod our heads and go, yep, 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 and move on, lands with this story. And it's a story that is telling his audience and us that if we do this one last thing, it will determine if our life on this side of the grave is going to be full and abundant. So he starts the story. He says, therefore, therefore, in light of everything I've taught you so far, therefore, in all those three chapters before, therefore, all these things that I'm going to be teaching, therefore, in light of all of that, everyone who hears these words of mine, knowledge, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. So let's catch what Jesus is saying right here. He considers a wise person to be one that not only listens to his words, but what? Puts them into action, puts them into practice. Now, that makes sense to me, I get that. So then Jesus is equating this person to someone who builds, a wise person listens, learns, and then builds on that foundation of knowledge. Because when the storms of life come, here's what happens. He goes on to say, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet, it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. And he goes on, but everyone who hears the words of mine and does not put them into practice. It's like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. He goes on, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And he's done. There's no more conversation. There's no confusion in the minds of his audience, those who were listening to him, what he's challenging them to do. He's asking them if they're going to lean into wisdom or be a surprised fool. So back in 2019, the big idea of the talk was this. Jesus never promised a storm-free life. He promised a storm-proof life. If that intrigues you at all, go back and listen to that message. Because that is, if we can figure that thing out, our life will be a lot better. He promises a life that'll stand up to the storms of life. And I spent the rest of the time teaching on that. So now in 2021, we get to focus on how to become more like the wise person and less like the foolish one. So let's talk about wisdom for a moment. We make so many decisions in life based on our feelings in the moment. Back in February, we went out for dinner with my brother Kurt and his wife Chris. 
Yes, there are two Chris Wassings in my family. They both start Chris with a K, and it is confusing sometimes. But we made reservations over here at Marco's, uh, and instead of driving separately, they swung by to our place to pick us up. And my brother shows up with this new-to-him Range Rover. Now, I never drove one of these Range Rover things before, so as the tradition goes in our family, we toss the keys over to someone, and then they drive. Uh, Normally, that works out just great. Uh, And after driving it, we discussed, you know, how we liked the car, didn't like the car, and we made judgments about the car, and then gave each other a hard time and all that stuff. So as we hopped into the car, I asked Kurt, I says, hey, Kurt, how does this car do in the snow? And he said, oh, it's amazing. I said, how amazing? He said, well, the all-wheel drive does really well. So as I'm reversing out of the driveway, I look over to my left at the snow in my yard, and I put it in drive, and I drove into the yard. And I'm pushing the bumper, the bumper's pushing the snow, and it was really going, you know, pretty good. But as I continued my turn towards the road, I saw the snow deepen significantly where the snowplow throws it off the road and onto the yard. There's a proverb that I should have memorized (laughs) when I was younger. It's a piece of Solomon, uh, a piece of Solomon's wisdom, thousands of years old, but, but I didn't memorize it. It goes like this. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple (laughs) keep going and suffer for it. I'll tell you, I fully lived into the second half of that verse, fully. Not only did I get stuck, but I also got my wife's Jeep stuck trying to get the Range Rover unstuck. And um, after, after digging the Jeep out, the Range Rover got stuck again trying to get out of the yard. So I reconnected the Jeep to the Range Rover, and I couldn't pull it out at all now. Meanwhile, our dinner reservation has come and gone, and our wives are watching us get exactly what we deserved. And, um, but they were probably a little frustrated because, well, we may have been actually enjoying this event, my brother and I. It's, it's kind of fun, you know, doing that stuff, if you're a guy. Um, so finally, 15 minutes after our dinner reservation is, has started, uh, I got in my son's FJ Cruiser. And to his delight, it was able to pull out the Range Rover, thus one-upping his mom's Jeep. Oh yeah, there is a competition. <laughs> Sam is still sad I didn't get a picture of that, that event. So Marcos was kind enough to have, keep our reservation open. Uh, we had a fantastic dinner, and I thought that all of the suffering that this proverb referred to was behind us until spring, where this became visible. See, there's four uh, tire holes there. Like so many unwise decisions, the marks, the scars, remain long afterwards. The prudent see danger and take refuge, and the simple keep going and suffer for it. The message version puts it this way, and I like how it does it. A prudent person sees trouble coming and ducks. A simpleton walks in blindly and is clobbered. (laughs) Love it. 
wise people observe and they act accordingly. I feel pretty good about that statement. In fact, I felt good enough about that statement that I decided to write the rest of the talk of that. Wise people observe, learn, and act accordingly. But then a few days ago, I was listening to a speaker on a podcast while I was mowing my lawn, and for some reason, he talked about wisdom, and he made this statement about wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. Nailed it. That's gold, and I'm going to steal it. So I'm stealing it for today. Wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. So where does this wisdom come from? How do we get it? And what does wisdom have to do with following Jesus? Well, there are two ways that we traditionally get wisdom. One is observing our own life experiences and making adjustments. Like that time when you told your wife that she's beginning to sound exactly like her mother. You do that once, you kind of learn not to do that again. The other way is to observe the experiences of others, either watching them make a statement like that or uh, just talking with mentors and parents and friends and reading books and attending seminars and other things where others are sharing their experiences. And this is where it often ends, observing ourselves and observing others. But Jesus invites us to layer something over top of all of that, to umbrella over those two something else. So as we look at the story that Jesus told, what's the difference between the wise builder and the foolish builder? Is it knowledge? No. The way Jesus tells the story, they both had the same information. The only difference between the wise builder and the foolish builder is the application of it. One didn't apply it and one did. One followed Jesus' life's instructions in that parable and one didn't. Both heard the teachings that Jesus spent three chapters on, but only one took that knowledge, rightly applied it, and that person was the one he called wise. Wisdom is the fruit, the gift, the present of following Jesus. It's an ongoing process of transformation. Taking steps of faith as we trust and we intentionally put areas of our lives under the leadership of Jesus. And here's what's so awesome about doing that. The parts of Randy's world that I intentionally put under the leadership of Jesus, especially in the last two years, the areas that I entrust to him have already produced so much fruit in my life, in my love for others, in my, my posture toward conflict and tension, and it increased my emotional health. I've had to hand my desire to judge others, to judge you, <laughs> back to God. I am not qualified. I continue to, as best I can, hand my pride and my selfishness over to his leadership. I don't always need to be right. I'm better able now to, honest, to see the honest tension in differing viewpoints. 
I become better able to abandon the simplistic black and white answers and with civility and curiosity learn from others who are different than me. It's caused me to place a higher value on being curious than being right or proving my point. I'm learning how to live in the tension of the gray. I also had to turn over my right to feel offended and outraged to his leadership. And in doing so, discovered a better ability to moderate my initial reactions when I encounter something, to hear and learn from others, and to learn to ask questions of understanding instead of making my point known. And over the last two years, as our culture and our social media become more and more outraged and divisive and and less tolerant, Brady and I started to challenge each other to be a calm voice of reason, to not get caught up in the outrage and the emotion. Rather, since we, str- we strive now to keep this posture of humility and openness and curiosity and listening with grace and love, and we learn that people, well, they stand where they stand because they sit where they sit. And we had to put all of our reactions and our defenses under his leadership. And that caused me to have to put more of my identity and more of my self-worth under his leadership too. Because I want all of you to like me. The way my personality is wired, what you think of me drives a lot of who I am and what I do. But you know what? I don't need you to like me anymore. (laughs) I still desire it. But I don't need it like I did. Now, before you think anything, I am by no means perfect at all. Just ask my family, ask our staff, ask my wife, who I said something Friday night and had to apologize to Saturday. On second thought, don't ask her about that. (laughs) But the more I turn to his leadership, the more peace I have the more my conversations, my reactions, my judgments, my disappointments and my responses to others and even my responses to myself contain so much more grace and love. And I have a better life in those areas where I've turned to trust him more and I still struggle where I trust him less or I don't trust him at all. You're probably thinking, oh, hold on, he's on staff at a church, he's a pastor not trust at all? Yeah. There's some areas, there are many areas in my life that I've turned over to God. I mostly entrust to him, but there are a few that I haven't let go of yet. Or I've turned them over and I keep taking them back. A couple of them I know very, very well. They're my emotional prisons. And in them, I am not experiencing freedom. And I suspect you have some of those too. You have some of those things that just keep consuming your thoughts, they keep you awake at night, and they keep you unrested. And we seem unable to escape it because we diligently just keep guard over it because, well, it's comforting in some ways and And because God isn't coming through like we think he should come through, and so we hold on to this sense of control. 
And sure, we'll gladly back off when God finally decides to handle it the way we want to handle it. But in the meantime, yeah. Our big idea today is this. Jesus isn't about making you feel better about your life. Jesus is about making you a better life. Being a wise builder. And the only way to experience that is to begin to follow him. And it looks like this. Observe him. By opening your Bible and starting in the New Testament and actually reading what Jesus says. Observe him there. Internalize it. Put it inside and allow it to transform your thinking. So things happen from the inside out. Observe him, internalize it, and then practice it. Put it into action. That is the expectation God, and therefore Keystone, (laughs) has for all of us who have decided to put our faith in Jesus. The world does not need more hollow Christians. The world needs maturing, curious followers of Jesus who are daily putting his teachings into practice. Friends, I invite you to become a wise builder, a builder of life by following Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I'm pretty sure this talk poked a few of us I'm pretty sure some of us have been recipients of the lifestyles of hollow Christians. And I think some of us have been really impacted by the lifestyles of those who are trying to put what you teach us into practice because we find out these are all based in love and not judgment. How to love for each other, care for each other, build each other up, take somebody who's down and help pick them up. Walk alongside someone who's hurting. Walk alongside someone who's lost a child, lost a job, lost whatever. So today we just ask for the courage and we want to be more filled with you. Make us aware this week of someone in our life that we can begin journeying with or begin journeying deeper, deeper with, learning from them their successes as they've tried to put your things into practice and also learning from their failures. Give us courage to start reading for ourselves the teachings of Jesus. Begin with Matthew and then read Mark and Luke and John. Read them. Try to understand them. Talk with people about them. Just help us pick one thing in all of that to get started. And then add another. And then add another. Putting them into practice over time in our lives. Thank you for today. Thank you for bringing us here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for coming to Keystone today. We'll see you all next week. Have a good week.